We will be studying uh, the book of Ephesians today. If you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'd like to uh, encourage and to say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here. And I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you about the important role that you actually have. I don't know if you ever noticed this, uh, but if you're men here today, you have noticed this, that sometimes um, young children, uh, when, when a man walks into the room or something like that, they, they get a little bit intimidated. Uh, I just, my little granddaughter Ruby, I haven't seen her for about eight months face-to-face, on, just through FaceTime and everything, because they're, they're in Africa, but uh, the, she's at our house now, and, and I walked in the room, and she burst out crying. It was like, wait a second, Jan's here? And, and, and it's because what, what happens is, is that they, they understand they are intimidated by masculinity. Masculinity. Masculinity, God has created this world male and female. He's created mankind male and female. And there's two beautiful things going on. Am I doing something wrong? There's two beautiful things about this, to how God has created us, male and female. And each of us, uh, male and female, work together so well. But, but God's created men masculine. And masculinity uh, comes with scratchy beards and uh, harder muscles and deeper voices. And men are intimidating. And, uh, and that's... that's Part of the role that men are supposed to have, not to negatively, but to lead, to, to be men. But once a child realizes that that deep-voiced, muscular, scratchy-faced guy is actually for them and loves them and is tender toward them and delights in them, then that forms something in that child that child becomes secure. That child becomes brave. That child feels safe. That child actually has greater joy and happiness because that strong, intimidating guy is for me and he'll protect me and he'll watch over me and he's going to provide for me and he's there for me. And dads, I want to tell you something. That's extremely important. Who you are is extremely important. And who you, what you mean to those children is extremely important. And quite frankly, if we had dads in this world start acting like dads more and more, many of the world's problems would literally be solved. And I'm not, under, I'm not overstating that. Children would be more well-mannered. Children would have a work ethic. Children would actually be more secure. Children wouldn't be so fragile and feel so unsafe all the time. Children would be well-developed. Society would move forward. And so I just I want to encourage you dads. We can't change the world, the whole world. But what we can do is we can raise children who have all of the benefits of, a, of an in-touch, loving, active, involved, concerned dad. And so, dad... You saying to your child with all of the strength that you have and all of the intimidation that comes with masculinity, there's going to be times that you're going to need to say to your child, no, no, we don't do that. And that's one of the most important things that your child's going to need to hear in one sense, to learn that, that they are responsible to put, to put uh, 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 breaks on their emotion. Why are people walking into places with guns and shooting people because the boss got mad at them? Part of it started when they were two and three and four and they didn't have a dad that says, we don't express our anger like that. That is not acceptable in this home. And I'll tell you something, when a dad does that, a kid at a very young age realizes, well, that ain't, I don't do that. That don't happen. And that's how society is formed. But dads, the child also needs to hear from you when you say, when that masculine guy who's the strongest, most intimidating figure in that child's life says, I love you. You're special. I, I, I delight in you. And, 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 and that child realizes that the strongest, massive superhero that he knows, that, that she knows at that moment is for them. That is very formative in, in, in the future life of that child. And so I want to encourage you dads here. 
I want to encourage you of the importance of your role, how absolutely important it is. And I want to encourage you to throw yourself into it, because I'm going to encourage you in another way. This dad thing is going to happen fast, okay? They're like, bye, dad, and I'm out the door. I graduated from high school. It's going to happen fast, and it's a short period of time. And so, dads, pour yourself into it, and, uh, and your children will be blessed, and society will be blessed. Now, you might be sitting here saying, my dad was a jerk. My dad was a drunk. My dad was all into himself. My dad, all he thought about was money. Maybe you had a lousy dad, but guess what? God the Father, the God the Father is a wonderful Abba Dad. He's the ultimate intimidating force. He's the ultimate being. And when he looks upon you and says, I love you, you're special to me, and I've got your back, I'm going to take care of you and provide for you, you get the best dad you ever need. You get the best dad you ever need. And so, uh, God bless you fathers who are here, and, uh, and may, you, may you be the kind of dads that kids are going to try to find you after they've gone off on their own, try to find you on Father's Day, and look you in the eye and say, thank you, thank you. Well, let's pray together. Father, help us as we come to study your word now. Help us and be with us as we seek to grasp what you would have for us this morning and be changed and transformed and grow and find your mercy, your grace. Find what it means to walk uprightly before you, as your word says. Understand this, this, this balance of grace and works and what this all means. Give us grace now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians. And we're studying the book of Ephesians here. We've been studying it through verse by verse for several weeks now. And we are in chapter 2. And we're focusing at our, our focus uh, last week and this week. We're going to focus on verses 8, 9, and 10. And so that's what I'm going to read for our scripture reading here, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to be looking at this, this, this idea of grace and works. Now, everybody just calm down and, and just hang in here for a second because I know the problem, and I'm moving this thing because it's driving me nuts. Okay, as long as I don't move, I'm okay. Let's try this. This is good. Look, it's good. It's good, Lee. Look, it's good. <laughs> Lee knows how much I hate these things. Okay. It's very important with any biblical truth to, to maintain a proper understanding and to keep things in balance. Let me illustrate this for you by a continental divide. A continental divide is a line, basically, in a map. You can see them. And in that, in that line, most, it usually always goes across a mountain ridge and a mountain top. In the, in, the, in, the, in the United States, one goes right across the Rocky Mountains. And the Continental Divide means this, that at the very point, if you were hiking along the Continental Divide and you were actually hiking along a ridge, if it rained on you, if it rained at that moment, the rain, now let's say I'm, I'm, I'm hiking north on the Continental Divide, and the rain came down, the rain that would fall on my right-hand side here, that rain would eventually fall, go down and end up in the Gulf of Mexico. The rain that would fall on my left side here, on the west side, that rain would all go to the Pacific Ocean. So at that point, two raindrops who came out of the same mother cloud, as it were, and came down as cousins, came falling down. When they hit that continental divide, this guy would end up 1,000 miles or so in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, down the Mississippi River, and this guy is going to end up in the Pacific. In other words, the continental divide, uh, at that point, they, they're together, and then after that they divide. And biblical doctrine is like this. Biblical doctrine is like this. You have to be very careful that, you, that you're holding things in the proper balance. And what we're looking at today is this idea, and we looked at last week, of grace and works. Grace and works. And with biblical doctrine, if you go an inch off, 
you will eventually be thousands of miles off if you're not careful. So let's take works for an example. If all of a sudden people say, oh, yeah, works, yeah, you got to work. you got to get yourself to heaven. you got to be good. Good people go to heaven. God's going to weigh us in the scales, and we are good works better outweigh. No, that's all wrong. The Bible doesn't teach any of that. And yet people can see works as a merit, works as something that you earn, and you get salvation through works. And so if you just start adding a few works, then before you know it, you get into full-blown works righteousness. Well, the same thing is true with grace. If you, take, if you, if you get off grace, you get off the continental divide a little bit of works and grace, and you get over here, before you know it, people start saying crazy things. They start saying, well, works mean nothing. You never have to work. You never have to do anything. It's all of grace. Or, or worse, they'll say, we can sin because it's all of grace. Who cares? It's salvation's by grace. It's not by works. So we can sin. Or it can be the, really the bad one. Let us sin so that grace may abound. That's what Paul was accused of saying. Paul was accused of this. He was falsely accused. But some people think, well, if you just talk about grace, then you're just going to make everybody do bad things. In Acts chapter 21, 21, uh, the other apostles told Paul when he showed up in Jerusalem, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children and to walk according to the custom and not walk according to the customs. And Paul didn't teach any of that. He didn't now he he taught that circumcision took it doesn't have the meaning that it had before. But he had his his uh, his partner Timothy circumcised because he had a, a Jewish mother. Paul didn't Paul didn't teach that in that way. And so we have to be careful. We have to walk carefully in understanding this works and grace uh, situation. Now, Paul understands this. Paul understands this, and he has this absolutely masterful three verses that we're looking at today where he perfectly walks the continental divide. And I want us to remember last what we looked at last week. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith... And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Salvation is of grace. Salvation is through faith. Even faith is the gift from God. All of grace, all of salvation is a gift of God. And then this is what we focused on last week. Not of works. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's what we looked at last week. It's not of works. It is by grace. Grace has saved us. There's nothing to boast about. See what Paul says? He says this, lest anyone should boast. That's a very big thing for Paul in his writings. We're not supposed to boast before God. We have no boast before God. Now, if your Bible is open to Ephesians, then you're very close to the end of the book of Galatians. And look at Galatians chapter 6. It's probably, it might even be on the same page or one page over for you. Look at what Paul writes in verse 14 of Galatians 6. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Salvation is not of works. Salvation is of God. Salvation is of grace. Salvation is of salvation. Salvation is by faith, and that faith alone has been a gift from God. But now notice what Paul does and how he perfectly, amazingly balances this back in Ephesians 2. Now look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See how he's walking the continental divide? Not of works, verse 9, and yet we are created for good works in verse 10. And that's what we want to try to navigate through today. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does here. Look at verse 9 again. Not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But now he takes up the issue of works. But notice how he begins. He begins by talking not about our works, but God's works. You see this? God's going to do all the heavy lifting. I recently split wood with Dan, Steve, and Pete, okay? And it used to be that when I was out there with my boys, I was in charge. And now I'm old and feeble and semi-senile, as far as they're concerned, I think. And so they got to keep an eye on me. No, Dad, we'll pick those up. No, Dad, we'll run the chainsaw. No, we'll do this. Well, what am I supposed to do? Dad, you stand here at this log splitter and go like this. 
We think you can handle that. Just don't, not, don't cut our fingers off, okay? So then I come home. I split wood for several hours with them, and I come home, and Jan says, well, how much wood did you get split? I said, well, we got like three or four cords split. Wow, that was really good. Cut, split, and everything. Yeah, really good. But then I say, to be honest with you, Jan, the boys did all the heavy lifting. I did hardly anything, okay? And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 10. Now, notice this works thing. What I want us to focus on, first of all, is the work that God does. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. And the word means we're his craftsmanship. One, one, uh, one commentator wrote, he said, we are his masterpieces. And that, that's, that's kind of a cool way of putting that. We are God's workmanship. Now, notice what it says here. Created, remember God the creator, let there be light, let there be light. Created in Christ Jesus. So God is doing the heavy lifting here. God's work is preceding our works. And see, this is a summary. Paul is actually summarizing everything that he has said in chapter 1 and through chapter 2. Remember what we've seen so far? Let's just, let me just list to you the works that God has done that make us his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ. Chapter 1, God blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He chose us. He predestined us in Christ, in union with Christ. He adopted us. He graced us. He redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. He gave us an inheritance. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment and a guarantee. We were dead and he made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us at the heavenly places. We were objects of his wrath and he graced us. He graced us and gave us new life. He has made us new creatures in Christ. And see verse 10? That's what Paul is sort of summarizing. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we are new creations. And of course, that's summarized so well in that popular verse, uh, that, that well-known verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus, new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, now notice what Paul says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. For the purpose of good works. Okay, now there's good works there. Now, again, try to balance all this out. Verse 9, not of works. Verse 10, saved for good works. But then notice how God comes back into the picture doing the heavy lifting, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By the way, make a little mental note in your head right now of that word walk. We're gonna, we're gonna, that's going to factor big here uh, in, in, the, in a few minutes. So let's seek to understand this. Let's try to put all of this together. Not of works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not of works, for good works, not of works. How does, how does all that work out? Well, let, let me give you several points to help us stay on the continental divide. Number one, good works are not, is not the ground, the basis, the merit, the cause of our salvation. Not at all. Good works has nothing to do with getting us saved. We don't merit our salvation by good works. We don't do things in order that we would gain good works. We don't try to tip the scale by our good works so that we would earn heaven. That has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is of God. Salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is through Christ Jesus. Salvation is through the cross. Salvation is through the powerful energy of the Holy Spirit being sent into our life, raising us from the dead. Salvation is through faith as we gain, as we, as we trust in Christ. Christ as, as our Savior. Salvation is all of God. Works have nothing to do for that. So what are good works? Then? Good works are the fruit, the evidence, the purpose, the outcome of salvation. Salvation is the fruit. Salvation is the evidence. Salvation is the outcome. Salvation is on the other end. Good works are, is on the other end of salvation. Jesus said this. By their fruit, you shall know them. Good trees produce, don't produce bad fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. You shall know the tree by its fruit. In other words, fruit is an evidence. Fruit is an evidence. 
Now, if verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10 is right, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we are the new creation, if we have been created, if we were dead and we have been made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, sorry, man, you got to believe, you got to believe that that should show evidence. There's something alive there. Your gardens are growing right now. Your gardens are starting to grow. The corn's starting to grow. We got rain. Praise God, we got rain. The, the soybeans are growing. Even your weeds are growing in your garden. Growing like crazy. It's life. Life. Life is evidencing itself. Okay? And if you have been born again, if you are a new creation, if you were dead and you've been raised from the dead, it's going to evidence itself. And those good works are the evidence. And not only that, those good works are the purpose. God saved us for good works. He didn't save us because of good works. He saved us for good works. He didn't save us by good works. He saved us in order that we would do good works. That's what he did. Hey, guys, I'm going to get rid of this thing. Can you go with this? I'll promise to try to stay here at the pulpit. Can you go with this? Or is it totally scrubbed the live feed? Oh, boy. Well, I don't have one. Should I just grab one? Oh, with a cord. Oh. thing on. I think we have to do this for the live stream, everybody. That's it. I take this whole thing out because I don't believe in microphones. Here we go. Okay. Good works is the purpose of salvation. I have saved you for good works. Turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of Titus. You're in Ephesians. Start start heading back, okay? First Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. If you're following in the, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 1370. Look on page 1370, if you're following in the Pew Bibles. And look at what Paul says in Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace, now there we go again, for the grace of God, there's the focus, there's the basis, there's the foundation, there's where salvation comes from. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous, and righteously and godly in the present age. There's the eschatology right there. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some more eschatology. Now notice verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed... And purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, look at that verse again. Who's doing the heavy lifting? Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. That's the heavy lifting, that we would be zealous for good works. Jesus did all of that that we would be zealous for good works. Not ho-hum about good works. We would be zealous for good works, okay? And so you see, what Paul does here is he, he then answers, in, in, in the book of Romans, for instance, Paul then answers the issue. Because here becomes the issue. A lot of people used to say that if you, and this definitely was big during the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church taught that these reformers, these Protestants were wrong, because if they start pushing grace, if they start pushing grace, then people will just be bad. People will just say, hey, I've got salvation, I've got grace, so I'm just going to live any way I want, because good works doesn't matter. And that's not what Paul taught at all. In fact, he was very emphatic about that, and he, he tried to get out in front of that all the time with people so they would understand. 
So, for instance, after teaching about justification in Romans 3, verse 31, Paul wrote this. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Those of us who are justified by God and given freely above his grace, we actually live out the law more than the others who don't. Because then he goes on to say this in Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, see, just works, good works to earn your salvation and merit, it, it, was, it was powerless. It couldn't do it because of our sin. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through faith, through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. There's God doing all the heavy lifting. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, there's that word again, according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God saves us. He saves us by grace. He saves us through Christ. He saves us through the cross. He gives us a new birth. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And, be, and by that and all of that, by walking in the spirit, we actually live lives of godliness and we live lives of righteousness. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Go back to your Ephesians passage again and just flip back over to the book of Galatians again. And notice what Paul says in Galatians 6.15. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Now that's what we've been looking at. God's created these new people. Now flip to chapter 5 and verse 1, and notice what Paul says. Listen to some of his argument down through here, and look at what he focuses on. He focuses on. First of all, in chapter 5, verse 1 he's, of Galatians, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to thinking that salvation is by works. Don't let them impose works back on you. Christ has liberated you. Now look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Now here he introduces this idea of love. Now look at verses 13 and 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now notice what he's doing. He's walking another continental divide. You're free. Don't let anybody put you under works. You're free. Don't use your, your liberty as a, as, a, as a smoke screen for sin. But then he says this. But through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the good works? It's love, loving your neighbors yourself. Then look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's this idea of walking in this new creation that we have in the, in the spirit. Then look at verse um, 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Then look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so God has worked in your life. He's freed you from, from sin. He's freed you from the law, and he's given you the law of love, and you're to live that out and walk that out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, go back to Ephesians 2, and let's look at how Paul works this out in the book of Ephesians. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10 again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in these good works that God has prepared for us to do. Now, uh, you look that up in commentaries. What does this mean, prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them? And, and most commentaries say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure all that means. And they're not sure. People aren't sure what does, what does that mean, that God has prepared the good work. But I want to tell you this. One thing I am pretty sure of that that means, I don't care how old you are here. I don't care how old you are. And you might be real old here. You, I might be part of the youth group as far as you're concerned. You're here for a reason. There's work still need to be done. God's got a plan. God's outline works for you to do. What are they? Shouldn't we be about them? Isn't that what that's saying there? God has prepared these works. Each one of us has works prepared for us to do that we should walk in them. Now, 
What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, first of all, what I want us to do is I want us to realize we are new creation. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. You were dead, I was dead, and we've been made alive. We are new creation. Now, let, let, me, let me just expand our thinking a little bit here. Try not to think about this too individualistically at this point. Because what Paul is getting at and what the New Testament teaches is, is that God's ultimate purpose in life, what God is doing is God is redeeming this world and it's going to end, this story is going to end gloriously in what's called the new heavens and new earth. An absolutely restored world with no sin, no death, no corruption, perfect holiness. We will have resurrected bodies. We will live in glory with him. That's where this whole thing's going. That's where it's playing out. And it's beginning now. That's why theologians use the phrase already and not yet. The new heavens and new earth is already begun. When did it begin? How has it begun? It's begun in us when we have become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And God is actually making a new humanity right now. It's happening. He's populating the new heavens and new earth. He's populating that through causing these people to be made new creations again and forming us into one new humanity. And I'm going to give you a preview ahead, a preview of what's coming. Coming attractions. Look at verse 15. He says this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create, same word he uses in verse 10, in himself one new man. And that word probably would be better translated one new humanity from the two. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. God is making a people, a new heavens and new earth people, a new kingdom people, a new humanity. The old humanity that had Adam as its head fell into sin and is, and is in spiritual death. That old humanity, out of those dead, spiritually dead people, God is calling out a people. He's making them new creatures in Christ Jesus. He's causing them to be born anew. He's giving them a new heart, and he's putting them forward, moving them forward as a new, as a new humanity, and part of their job as the new humanity, part of who we are, is to walk as the new humanity doing good works. So, look at Ephesians 2.2. 2. We used to walk according to the course of this world. Now, we're going to follow this word walk, okay? But in then chapter 2 and verse 10, we have been created in Christ Jesus for these good works that God has prepared for us to do, and we're supposed to, look at the verse, walk in them. Then look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Notice here, you have been called with a high calling. You are the new creation. You are the new humanity. You are the redeemed ones. You are the ones who have been brought from life to death. Walk according to that calling. And notice that in verse 2, he includes with that, within that walking in love. Look at verse 4 and verse, chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Don't walk back in that when you were dead back there. Don't be walking back there. But look at verse 24, uh, verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you may put on the new man, i.e. new humanity, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so you're supposed to put on this new man and put off the old man. Then look at what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us. Then look at verse 8. And you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look at verse 15. See that you, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're a new people, and we're supposed to live it like that, and we're supposed to walk like that, and we're supposed to conduct our, our lifestyle like that. 
One commentator put it very well when he said this. Put simply, it is God's will that those who belong to the new creation should be characterized by a lifestyle which ultimately reflects his own character and actions. God is good. We should be good. So let's ask ourselves some diagnostic questions. Do I walk in good works? Ask yourself that question. When Peter was talking to Cornelius in his household, he said, I want to proclaim to you Jesus of Nazareth, a man who went about doing good. Is that what we are? Do we walk in good works? Diagnostic question number two. Does my life through good works evidence that I am a whole new creation? Does my life through good works evidence that I am a whole new creation? You probably remember the, the old homey sort of illustration of this is that if it became illegal to be a Christian and you were arrested, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Okay, and that's what's that's does my life through good works evidence that I am a whole new creation. Do people see an example for the holy new heavens and new earth previewed in my life? That's a heavy one, by the way. Do people see an example of the new heavens and new earth previewed by my life? You look at that guy over there, that Christian, that godly Christian who's filled with good works, and you see a preview, a foretaste of the world that is to come. So then that leads to the final question that we're going to consider today. What then are good works? What are they? What should this be about? And this is where the church historically has really messed up, okay? Some churches just give you things that, they, that man has said are good works, but the Bible never said. Go to Mass, pray the rosary, give to the church, fast, become a monk. That's Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. That's, that's the way they, they present these, these works that, that they, they say, those are good works. You do them, you've done good works. That's not biblical at all. But we evangelicals can be just as bad. Go on the mission field. Now, wait a minute. We're not all supposed to jump up and go into mission field. That's a unique calling that's given to sermon. It's not given a call to everybody. So, oh, if we don't go on the mission field, then I can't do any good works. I'm just, I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a plumber. I'm just a secretary. I'm just a housewife. I, I, what, what can I do? No, no, that's wrong. Oh, you have to teach. You have to preach sermons. You have to teach a Sunday school class. You have to have a microphone in your hand. You have to have a podium in front of you. Or now in, 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 in evangelical, you have to have a blog. You have to have a podcast. You have to be into ministry. And that's not how the New Testament looks at good works at all. At all. In fact, when the Bible talks about good works, they're way more humble. Way more normal. They're quiet, but they're quietly powerful and beautiful. And I want to give you a flavor for this as, as, as we close so that you can see this in your own life. We're going to put a bunch of, of things on the board here. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, the church is trying to decide which widows to put on the widow list. And these widows had to have certain qualifications, okay? And that one of them is this, that they are well reported for good works. Now, Paul's going to list good works. Here we go. We got a list of good works here if she has brought up children. Bringing up children is a good work. If she has lodged strangers, hospitality is a good work. If she has washed the saints' feet, that's part of the hospitality back then. If she has relieved the afflicted, she found somebody that needed a loaf of bread, she baked them one and she gave it to them. She found somebody who needed a meal and she took a meal to over to them. She found somebody who needed some clothing and she went out and she sewed some clothing and she gave it to them. She found somebody who needed a blanket and she had an extra blanket and she gave it to them. If she has diligently followed every good work, notice, these are humble, these are normal, they're quiet, but they're powerful and they're beautiful. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, Paul says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's the good work, love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Not start a blog, not have a podcast, not go around the country teaching seminars, not do writing books, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. That's a good work. To mind your own business. That's a really good work, by the way. That's a hard work, but that's a good work. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. This is how the Bible looks at good works that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. Now, no, now, notice that. I want you to lead a quiet life. Don't get your nose in everybody's business and work with your own hands, providing for yourself that you may walk properly for those who are outside. In other words, you're not nebbing into their little world all the time and nosing into it, and you don't lack anything. You're taking care of yourself. In Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul tells the older women to teach the younger women. The older women, the good works that they can do now that their family's out of the home, is to teach the other women. And it says this, and they admonish the young women too, and these are the good works. Love their husbands. Love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What's a good work for a former thief? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. Paul says this, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. Go get a job. Working with his hands what is good. Go get a job. That's a good work. And here's why. That he might have something to give, to, to give him who has need. Isn't that wild? This verse is amazing. The guy who used to steal because he was so lazy, he didn't want to go to work, he stole from other people. Paul says, now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, go start blogs. Oh, go be an international speaker. Oh, give your testimony. No. Go get a job and work hard and provide for your own needs so you're not stealing from him. And by the way, if you see somebody who has need, give to him. You'll have enough then to give something to him. So you've gone from being a thief to somebody who generously shares with other people who has need and is hungry over there. That's a good work. In the very next verse, Paul says this. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is, there's the word, good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to, to the, its hearers. A good work is you affirming people, encouraging people, telling them blessing, edifying them from your mouth instead of tearing them down. Those are good works. And see, all of this is summarized in love. Again, Galatians 5. We've looked at it, but I'll just put it on the screen. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but not only to use the liberty as an opportunity for sin, but through love serve one another. What are good works? It's dads being dads. It's dads encouraging their kids. It's dads loving their kids. It's dads teaching their kids. It's dads disciplining their kids. It's dads going hard to work and working hard and bringing home a paycheck and feeding their kids and clothing their kids. It's moms nurturing their kids and taking care of their kids and loving their kids and supporting their kids and teaching them the word of God and encouraging them. It's kids obeying their parents and following where their parents lead and not backbiting and, 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 and teaching them. It's singles singles, you who are here, you know what the Bible says is a good word for you who are singles, a good work for you? You don't have all of the distractions and you don't have all of the responsibilities that married people have. The husband has to take care of his wife. The wife has to take care of her husband. The parents have to take care of their children. You're single. And Paul says, I wish all of you were single at one point. In order that you might give yourself fully to the Lord, you singles, don't sur surround your world with you. Go, serve, help other people, find out where there's a need, find out how you can open your home to hospitality, bring people in, involve yourself in people's lives, use your extra time for the glory of God.
What's a good work for employees? The Bible says it. Show up for work every day. Show up with a smile. Roll up your sleeves. Work hard. Work well. Work fast. Work in a way that your employer is really, really blessed. Bless your employer and do it as all unto the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. Employees. What are you to do? You're to be kind to your employers, employees, I'm sorry, employers, and to your employees. You're to be kind. You're to be good to them. You're to provide for them. You're to watch out for them and treat them as human beings. That's a good work. That's a good work. And the whole time, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be looking around. What are the needs? Who can I reach out to? Who can I encourage? Who needs some money? Who can I go over and help? Who needs to have this? Who needs meals? Who needs me to help them paint? Who needs me to help them fix their car? Who needs me to help? Who who needs a phone call? Who can I talk? That's what a good work is. That's what we're supposed to be. For all people, we're to love them and love them and love them and, and be concerned for them and put ourselves in their shoes. Now, if I was him, how would I want me to treat him? What would I want me to do? That's what it's to be. And if you and Jesus' idea was to unleash millions of people like this upon the earth to glorify his Father. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, let me add one more wrinkle to this. We are going to be judged by our works. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Matthew 16.27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. You see, Todd, if salvation isn't by works, then how come we're being judged by works? If salvation is by grace, then how come we're being judged by works? Well, let's walk the continental divide here. Aren't works an evidence of what really has gone on in your life? If a man stands before God, how do we know if he believed in Christ, if he became Christ's follower, if he became a disciple of Christ, if he was born again? If he truly experienced grace, how would you know? By the fruit that you see in his or her life. So I ask the question, does your life through good works evidence? Does my life through good works evidence that I am a whole new creation? That's what judgment day is just going to be about. Does my life through good works evidence that I am a whole new creation? So if you are a lazy Christian... If you are a Christian who takes a false view of grace and uses grace as a license, and hey, we're all under grace. I can look whatever I want, say whatever I want, sleep with whoever I want. We're under grace. Smoke whatever I want. Get high whenever I want. We're all under grace. If you're that kind of Christian, if you're that kind of compromised salt and light, if you're just, uh, say you're a Christian, but you're really a partier. Say you're a Christian, but you're really a braggart. Say you're a Christian, but you're really an egotist. Claim to be a Christian, but you look, act, think, breathe, smell, think, respond, live like the dead of this world. If you get drunk, if you sleep around, if you're foul-mouthed, if you live to party, if you have no, if you have no interest in seeing the kingdom advance, if you have no interest in being involved in your church, if you have no interest in, in locking arms with people and trying to advance God's kings, if you have no interest in telling anybody about the Son, you are deceived. You are not a Christian. You haven't experienced grace. You haven't had the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing worse than a deceived Christian who dies and goes to hell. I can't think of anything worse. A bad guy who hates Christ, a foul-mouthed sinner who dies and goes to hell, say, well, this is what I deserve. But somebody say, why am I here? Why am I here? It's because grace never touched your life. You were never a new creation of God. Now, some of you here, some of you here are not Christians, and you know it. And you're hearing me, and you're saying, wait a minute. You're telling me I'm going to stand before God. He's going to evaluate my entire life, and I'm telling you yes, and I'm telling you this. If you continue as a non-Christian, there is nothing worse 
than standing before a holy God who is about to sentence you to hell forever. You say, wait a minute. Then there's no hope for me. And here's the good news. If that's where you're at right now, you're in the best place you could possibly be. You know why? Because salvation is not by your works that you will do to earn this and fix this. Salvation is by a God of grace. We're right back to grace. A God of mercy. A God of love. A God who treats us not as we deserve. A God who will cleanse you and wash you and forgive you and give you new life and give you everything that you need for salvation. A God who will do all the heavy lifting. All you need to do is humbly come and say, God, have mercy upon me. God, save me. God, through your son, through the cross, forgive me, cleanse me. God, I believe. I believe. God, help me. Help me. Have mercy. And God loves to have mercy. And he will truly, that grace will come flooding in and he will totally transform your life. And man, you'll start doing good works because you'll be alive from the dead. May God give you that grace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you and you alone save. We will never save ourselves. We thank you, Father. We thank you that you are a God of grace. Where not one person in this room, myself included, would ever have a chance at salvation. We could never earn salvation. We could never make ourselves holy and righteous. We could never make us fit for heaven. But you can and you do through the cross, through the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father in heaven. Help us, we pray. For those of us who have been saved and we, we, we know grace is at work in our lives, help us to be people of good works, zealous for good works, for your glory as our way of saying thank you. And for those who are here today who are just not sure, don't even know if they're saved, realizing that the a car accident this week could plunge them into eternity and they don't have a clue where they would be. Oh, Father, please, I pray, help them to see Jesus. Help them to come to him. Help them to find eternal life in him, that you would be glorified. None of us will boast. We will just simply praise you and say thanks. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.